All right. Well, welcome back, Victoria. Uh, it's really great to have you here. Um, for people who haven't listened to earlier episodes of the show, this is Victoria's second time on the show. Um, she previously joined us to talk about her book, uh, Resistance Behind Bars, and the work that she does concerning incarcerated women. And we decided to ask her back today um, to talk about another project that that's part of her work with incarcerated women that is a zine called Tenacious. So Victoria, if you wouldn't mind, we were just hoping that you could start off and tell us a little bit about Tenacious, about what it is and how it started. Um, And we'll go from there. Sure. So in 2001 and 2002, I was corresponding with some women who were incarcerated in the state prison in Oregon. And they had been connected to other people who were doing prison zines at the time. And so they were introduced to zine culture through those connections. So for listeners who don't know, zines are small press, usually like one or two people, you know, maybe a small group putting together a publication. And oftentimes it's photocopied or it's printed. It's not like, you know, published by a publisher. It's a very sort of DIY effort. And they range from like, being fantastically designed by people who have fantastic design skills and great software to things that I do, which, you know, in the beginning were literally like typing something and then cutting it and then pasting it onto that page and then putting it on a photocopier. So they were getting introduced to zine culture and what they were seeing in these zines that either were about prisons or included writings by incarcerated people was that it was all about men. So it was, you know, focused on the male experience in prison. uh, If there were writings by incarcerated people, there were writings by incarcerated men um, talking about their experiences. They weren't seeing their experiences reflected in these writings and pages. So they weren't seeing the experiences that so many women shared, such as being separated from their children. And obviously, there are many incarcerated men who are also separated from their children, but oftentimes it doesn't hit men in the same way that it hits incarcerated mothers. So they're not fearing that their children will be lost in the foster care system because there's not a family member to take care of them. Um, They weren't seeing uh, writings about what it means to not be able to stay in communication with your child because the family member who's taking care of that child or those children has to make a decision between paying for the very expensive collect calls or putting food on the table and, you know, keeping a roof over the head. They weren't seeing writings that were reflecting the constant threat of sexual abuse and sexual violence inside prisons, whether it is actual sexual assault and sexual violence at the hands of another person, like a staff member or Another or less frequently in women's prisons, a fellow incarcerated person, or the sexual abuse that's day to day inside a women's prison, like not being able to mm-hmm. go to the toilet and not have a staff member walk in on you because that's part of their job is just to make sure that you are not doing, I don't know, whatever you're not supposed to be doing in the shower or in the bathroom or in the housing unit. Um, and of course, that leads to huge amounts of uh, sexual abuse when people have that kind of ability to do that. And they weren't seeing these reflected in these prison zines and these prison writings. So they reached out to me and they asked me, 
we would like to do a zine that focuses on women's prison experiences, but we are in prison, so we don't have access to paper. We don't have access to photocopiers. We don't have access to lots of postage, to envelopes. We can't write to people in other prisons to solicit their submissions or their experiences or their writings. Um, there's a lot of censorship. You know, basically, there are all these restrictions right. around what people can have in prison, none of which are conducive to actually being able to produce even like five copies of a zine. So they were looking for somebody on the outside that might be willing to do this with them. And so I said, okay, you know, why not? I could do this. So I actually got together with four or five other women at the time who are interested in prison issues. And that was how Tenacious started. I think the first issue came out in, if you give me a sec, I will actually look at my bookshelf, um, the summer of 2002. And it literally was, you know, a wow. cut and paste type of thing where women would send their writings or their drawings and we would type them up and we literally would like cut things out and paste them on a page um, and then bring it to a photocopier and make copies. And so we continued this and uh, I don't know how many listeners actually do daily or weekly or regular uh, support work for incarcerated people, but it's oftentimes, it's time consuming. It can be not very thankful because you feel like you're constantly just like, you know, like throwing a small rock in a very large body of water or something like that. Like it just doesn't feel like you are actually making a huge difference. Um, and when you're working with incarcerated people who often don't have the highest literary skills, sometimes you're going back and forth about things like you're de they're describing an experience and their description is, it was terrible. It's like, well, what was it? Can you be more specific about how it was terrible? And so there's a back and forth that happens all via snail mail, which is mm -hmm. kind of tedious and boring. So eventually, like, people started dropping off this little group of Z-makers, and so it was just me, um, which is how I continued to do it as the one left holding the bag. Um, but so the women in Oregon eventually were released. And by that time, Tenacious had grown so that women in other prisons had heard about it and were submitting. So if you actually ever see like a stack of Tenacious's from, you know, like 2002 to the present day, you can kind of see which prisons women have gotten the zine and then passed it around to other women because suddenly there'll be a flurry of submissions from Colorado for two, three, four issues. And then that'll shift to a flurry of submissions from Oklahoma or New Jersey. So you can kind of tell where people are getting the zine and sharing it with other women who are like, oh, hmm. I didn't know this existed. And I didn't know that there was a place for me to send my words and my voice and my writing to. That's incredible. Um, I, huh. Wow. Uh, and that you've managed to keep it going for 16 years now. I mean, that's... That's, That's huge. <laughs> That's really Thank huge. You. Um, Thank you. When you say it like that, I'm like, oh, yeah. It has yeah, been right? Years. Like, that That's, 16 years that's a long time. It's a really long time, especially if you're, you know, doing much of the work, you know, alone, as you pointed mm -hmm. out. And and having to deal with, you know, the, the challenges and, and the obstacles of, you know, writing to people, um, 
you know, uh, via snail mail. Like uh, it just, it, anyway, before I go off on, on that tangent, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you uh, <laughs> a follow-up question. Um, sure. If, you know, and you talked a little bit about the, the process of making these, mm-hmm. things, um, but I'd like to, you know, um, have you describe a little bit more um, what that actually entails and what are some of the challenges that, you know, you've uh, faced beyond those that you've mentioned, um, as well as some of the systems that you've had to put in place to make this thing work for as long as it has. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think makes it work and makes it, it's not a self-sufficient project, you know, like I, I have taken to selling zines at ZineFest and online to recoup the cost of print, some of the cost of printing and postage for sending mm-hmm. free copies to women incarcerated across the country. But I think that, and I never break even, like I always lose a couple of hundred dollars every issue on this. Um, but I think one of the things that makes it more sustainable than say like any other project is the fact that it is not you know, like it doesn't go out for free to incarcerated men. Because if you look at any project in which free literature is sent to people inside prisons, regardless of gender, you just see that they have like huge backlogs, they have huge amounts of, uh, you know, like huge amounts of mail to answer, people just needing things. And so I think that's one of the things that makes it sustainable is that even though there are a record number of women behind bars, there are 114,000 something women in state prisons and federal prisons and another 100,000 something in local jails. And this doesn't include trans women in men's facilities or people in immigrant, women in immigrant detention or in juvenile facilities. You know, like it's still a smaller number than the overall 2.3 million people behind bars. So I think part of that makes it a little more doable than if I were to say, like, this gene is free to anybody behind bars, because then I quickly would just not be able to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And what was the other part of your question? Sustainability, um, something, something. The systems that you've had to put in place to make this work. Um, I think that, you know, there are uh, obviously uh, challenges, uh, as you've yeah. described them, mm-hmm. um, with, you know, communicating back and forth. and you know, um, are you able to share, you know, some of the, um, the work Mm -hmm. of putting this together and, um, you know, I'm I'm sure, uh, you know, anticipating what we're going to, you know, (laughs) probably ask you at the end is how folks Mm -hmm. can support this, you know, this Mm -hmm. work, but, um, you know, how do you, how do you manage to make this work in the grand scheme of everything else you have to do in your daily life? Mm Okay. So, I mean, part of it is the zine only comes out twice a year. So, um, for the most part, uh, so it's not a monthly project that I have to devote a ton of time, energy, and money to. So, it comes out twice a year. Originally, when the women from Oregon envisioned it, it came out four times a year. And I think after several issues in which there actually was not enough for there to actually be an issue, like literally, like one issue had three pieces in it, and it was Mm -hmm. a six-page issue like I thought to myself why are why are we breaking our necks to like get this you know to to get an issue out by some random date that really is not 
we're not bound to get this out like April 15th, June 15th, you know, like, like we're not bound to make this a quarterly zine. It doesn't make sense to do so, especially if it's just going to be six pages. Mm. Um, like, like it might make more sense to slow it down a little bit and make sure that there's enough time for people to submit things, um, to submit writings or to submit art, that there might be enough time to do some back and forth thing with people to say like, you know, it was terrible. Just, you know, tell us what it was. Tell us what was so terrible about it. Or if somebody submits a piece of artwork that may not work for Tenacious, for example, one woman sent a piece of art that had, I believe it had a gun in it. And I immediately was like, that is not going to get into a whole bunch of prisons. And it doesn't make sense to publish this and then get rejected from half the prisons because then that means that the women inside those prisons aren't going to get tenacious because there was a picture of something with a gun in it. Yeah. Right. So I sent it back to her and I said, you know, like, I really, really appreciate this drawing, but this isn't going to fly because it has a gun in it. Can you, you know, can you send me something different? You know, like, and she redrew the picture without the gun, you know, and there was enough time for her to do that. And I put that on the cover of tenacious. Mm-hmm. And then I think that issue got banned because I, uh, somebody was accusing a guard of watching her while she was showering or changing clothes or something. And I printed the guard's name and then it got banned from that person yeah. because it was hmm. disrespecting staff. So some of it was a learning process. Like, oh, right. wait a minute. You know, like if I want this to get into this prison, I might need to say Officer S and not Officer Sam Smith um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this process. But like, again, some of it is a learning process. Some of it is giving myself enough time to go back and forth to say, like, hey, that, that gun won't work. Or, hey, um, more recently, there was a woman incarcerated in Indiana named Anastasia Schmidt who was doing collages. And so she would send me these really nice collages. But a lot of times there would be, like, some, you know, cutout image from a magazine of somebody with you know, who is topless or naked or something. Mm -hmm. And I immediately was like, you know, that is just not going to like work for, you know, like sending into a bunch of prisons because even though it's a women's prison and people do get undressed, they go to the shower, you know, everybody knows what a woman's body looks like. I can see some mailroom censor just deciding that this zine is not going to go in. Um, and throwing right. them in the garbage or sending them all back or something. And it just, it doesn't make sense to spend several hundred dollars for a zine that nobody gets to actually read while yeah. they're incarcerated. So, yeah. so like I sent that back to her and I was like, I'm really sorry. You know, like, do you have something that like, I hate to be that prude, that sens- sensorious prude, but do you have anything that has, you know, people with clothes on it or, you know, nothing with nudity yeah. on it. Right. Like, right. you know, again, not my, not my decision. If this were not, really a zine that's supposed to go into a prison, I would not care. Um, So some of it is that. And then some of it is too is um, like deciding what the criteria were for what was going to be in Tenacious. So it's not like an all arms open literary journal in which people can write about anything and everything they want. So somebody who might be ruminating about their dog that has no connection to the prison Mm -hmm. experience is not necessarily like that that piece would not be a good fit for tenacious if they were talking about how they really miss their dog and their dog died and they're in prison and you know it's you know the horrifying emotions you know that come with trying to grieve while you're in prison and 
the prison doesn't care that your dog died. Um, right. You don't get special, like, grief leave or something for this. That would be one thing. But if you're just like, I woke up today and I miss my dog, uh, that's not really what, you know, like, like, Tenacious is not the forum for that. Or people who have found religion in prison and want to just write about their relationship with God. I've actually said, um, I've actually put in, we don't publish religious experiences or people's experiences in court because otherwise I'd just get tons of either poems and writings about how God is great and wonderful and I wish they'd found him sooner, which any church newsletter will publish, but they won't publish things about how women should Mm -hmm. get together and fight for better food or fight to keep the guards out of the housing units while they're getting changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want and I didn't want to get inundated with people's legal materials because I think the first two or three issues that said we'd like to hear about the court injustices you face and people just sent me gigantic packages of legal material. Hmm. And I didn't know what to do with this and I was like I really like I'm not a lawyer. You just spent a month's worth of prison wages sending me all of your legal material, and yeah, I right. cannot actually help you. Um, so, so there are some criteria. So everything has to ex- somehow reflect the prison experience. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, like prison is bad. Although you know most people, you know, that does work its way into most pieces. But it does have to be like you know, this is how this relates to my experience in prison, or this is how this relates to other people's experiences in prison. Or, you know, like what I'm seeing in the prison right now. Or ideally, this is what we are trying to do about what's happening inside the prison. And sometimes women will, like there was one woman, I might be getting the states mixed up. There was a woman in New Jersey and there was a woman in Colorado. And one of those women in one of those states wrote about, you know, this awful uh, cell sweep that was going on in which guards dressed in riot gear that look kind of like, you know, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on steroids or something, came in, totally traumatized everybody because they were ripping through people's cells. They had to, like, kneel facing a wall, and they were just hearing the guards ransacking their cell, their cells for over an hour. And then they, like, come back, and they've got to, like, pick up the pieces of their belongings because the guards were supposedly searching for contrabands. And for many women, this is really, really traumatizing. Like, even though they themselves were not physically hurt, being put in this situation where you're totally terrified, you've got men in, like, you know, some sort of, like, riot gear yelling at you, you know that they're ripping through your stuff, you don't know what's happening, you don't know if you're going to get back, and you're going to find that your kids' pictures have been trampled or ripped up or, Mm -hmm. you know, anything like that. And so the woman in either New Jersey or Colorado wrote this for Tenacious, and somebody in the other state saw this and immediately wrote a piece that was a response to that, like, hey, it's not just in your state. This is what happens here as well, and Mm -hmm. talked about that. And it was a way to kind of share these experiences and not have this be like, oh, well, we're in prison. Right. But maybe this is just our prison. But it was a way to, like, share that kind of experience, even if neither one of them was proposing, like, this is how we're going to change it or challenge it, just to acknowledge that this happens. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gets to, you know, another thing that I was wondering if you could talk about, um, which is what kind of, you know, opportunity does this provide uh, the women who participate? Why do they participate? What, you know, what have they told you about, uh, you know, the value that Tenacious has for them? 
uh, either as like submitting work to it or reading it. Um, just curious what kind of feedback you've gotten. So for women who submitted to it, oftentimes they've been told again and again throughout their lives, even before arrest, before their incarceration, even as children or as younger women, that their words don't matter, their voices don't matter, their experiences don't matter. So to have their words in print, even if it's in a zine, it's not like, you know, in a gigantic, you know, glossy magazine, but Mm -hmm. seeing their words and their experiences in front, you know, like being read by them, being read by other people validates their experiences and validates their voices in a way that oftentimes women who end up in prison are not validated. Um, so oftentimes they will, they'll be like, thank you so much. You know, like it meant a lot to me to see my words in print. Um, and it also pushes them, I think, to think of themselves as people whose voices matter as people whose stories matter they're not just you know number one zero seven three zero zero one they are you know like they are mary fish they are uh cecilia dawkins they are you know they they are people with names and stories and histories and things to say so i think for people for the people who write for tenacious that you know plays i think a very big role in why they write and what they expressed after getting an issue and being like oh my god I saw this you know and this this shows me that this you know that I matter and then for women who don't write for tenacious so I have I don't know give or take 200 women on the mailing list you know only a handful of whom actually write or draw something for tenacious Mm -hmm. so every four or five issues I send off postcards to people who don't right for tenacious and I'm like hey do you still want to get this zine because it's free but I don't want to send a zine to you if you are like why am I getting this I'm just mm-hmm. throwing this in the garbage um and I will get letters back or notes back that say like yes um I really want to keep receiving this zine it means a lot to me to read these stories I am not a writer but you know it helps me to know I'm not alone or for some people it's like I have been in solitary confinement for X number of years, you know, like I really appreciate hearing other, you know, reading other voices while I'm in here. It helps me to know I'm not alone or, you know, like I just enjoy reading these stories. Please keep sending it to me. So I think there is a connection and a lifeline, even for people who are in prison, be reading the words and the writings of people who are in other prisons. Mm-hmm. So as as weird as that might seem, like you're in a prison, why would you want to read about what somebody in some other prison is experiencing? Why wouldn't you want to read about, you know, Anne of Green Gables or something? But there still is that connection where they're like, this helps me, you know, feel less alone. This, you know, like, I just actually really appreciate this. I enjoy it. And then for women, particularly trans women, um, have said, I really appreciate the fact that you have trans voices in here. You don't say like, no, you cannot, you cannot be part of this because, you know, nobody put an F on your, on your birth certificate when you were born. So I think for a lot of trans women, they also appreciate that. And trans women have also used this, uh, used Tenacious to say, this is how I got my hormones. This is how you might too be able to get your hormones. Like here's a step-by-step, you know, I did this. I did that. When they told me no, then I did this. And then they told me no, and then I did that. And then, you know, like, and it's sort of like, don't give up, you know, keep fighting for what you believe in or 
you know, um, I am a trans woman in solitary confinement and, you know, this is what I'm doing to stay sane. Um, so I think that also part of it too is being able to draw some inspiration from folks who are in similarly bad situations and are still exhorting each other to, to keep their heads up and keep fighting and to not give up. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, as you were talking, the thing that I was thinking was that, um, you know, it really does allow people to minimize that sense of isolation. It doesn't erase Mm -hmm. it, but it certainly helps, you know, it it helps to know, um, especially Mm -hmm. when you're going through something really, really difficult, that you're not the only one. And it can feel like the only one in, you know, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, So, you know, between that, um, but also, you know, this uh, last uh, story that you shared uh, with us about, um, you know, how women have been organizing, that it's also Mm -hmm. an organizing tool, you know, and uh, you've shared a number of examples. And I'd love to hear if you have, you know, um, a favorite edition or favorite piece of art or writing uh, that you've published in Tenacious. And um, how do you, uh, yeah, just, well, I'll just leave it there. You know, what, do you have a favorite piece? Well, one of my my more recent favorites, I guess, was um, it actually came out of a tragedy. So in 2016, I want to say, um, there was a young woman in the Arizona Department, uh, the Arizona prison system, who had been convicted as a, I want to say she was 16, maybe she was 15. She was under 18. And so she was in the juvenile section of the women's state prison. So the fact that there is a juvenile section of the women's state prison is horrifying in and of itself. And she had a long sentence and she turned 18 and she was transferred to the adult section. And I don't remember all of the details, but she ended up committing, she had a long sentence. So she was looking at lots and lots of time and she ended up killing herself And some of the women in that prison actually wrote to Tenacious to tell me this. And then I said, you know, would you be willing to write? Um, And these were women who had also been sentenced as younger teenagers, so 17 years old, 16 years old. And I said, would you be willing to write something about, you know, being, looking at these long sentences as a child, you know, and kind of what gets you through? Um, so three women actually wrote for uh, issue 37 about being sentenced when they were um, 17 or 17 or 14. Um, and, you know, like and what they would say to other young people coming into the system, you know, that like they shouldn't give up, that even though, you know, like when you're 14, especially, you know, like what does that mean to be looking at like a lengthy or a life sentence, you know, versus when you're 37 or even 27. So it was, you know, them sharing like, this is what I've learned through the years. This is what kept me going. This is what I wish somebody maybe would have told me when I was 14, 15, 16, 17. And this is what I'm going to share with you in the hopes that, you know, this makes it easier for you to get through this time. And I, I, I don't know if like favorite is the right word because it comes out of such an awful yeah. tragedy, mm. 
but at the same time, the fact that women were willing to say, you know, like, yeah, we don't want this to happen again. Like one woman is, uh, when she wrote this, she said that she, uh, it, she wrote this, her piece at age 41 and she was 17 years old when she got arrested. Another woman was 14 years old when she got locked up and said she would be 37 years old next month. And she said, against all odds, I'm still here, I'm still smiling, and I'm still ambitious. Um, again, I think, like, kind of giving that, you know, like, that kind of, like, here, look, you're not by yourself, you're not the only one in this situation. Maybe especially for people who might not have other folks looking out for them, you know, mm-hmm. if you're locked up in a in the juvenile wing of a prison, if the prison has a juvenile wing and you're not just locked up by yourself, um, you're locked up with a bunch of other scared teenagers. Nobody's, you know, like there who's like, I'm 40 and I've been through this and, you know, keep your head up and like, here are some things that you can do to not succumb to despair. Like, it's just a bunch of teenagers who are also really scared and don't know what to do either. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, I was just thinking, we, <clears throat> we just did an episode recently on pen palling and the importance mm-hmm. of maintaining regular communication with people uh, who are in prison, you know, throughout all the obstacles that we've gone over um, to doing so and how that is in itself sort of an abolitionist practice, you know, bridging um, this Mm -hmm. this gap and this isolation uh, that the prison creates. And I know that you mentioned a little earlier, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, you were talking about how women, you know, use Tenacious uh, to communicate with each other uh, to share information. And I was just wondering, you know, I, I guess just kind of like a general question, but do you see any parallels between pen palling and zine making sort of like as an abolitionist tool? Um, do you see it, uh, you know, sort of in these broader terms as a way uh, to sort of overcome that isolation, I guess, or do you think it's like different, more different than the same? I absolutely think that they're they're on that same level of being abolitionist strategies and abolitionist tactics. I do want to clarify for any uh, prison administrators or prison staff who may, you know, come across this podcast that the women who are communicating are not necessarily like communicating with specific other people. It's more like generalized words of wisdom, you know, so it's not a secret ploy for, you know, a person in New Jersey to get a message to a person in Colorado through Tenacious. Um, just just to clarify that, you know, and put that out Absolutely. there for anybody who works in a prison system, you know, who might be listening. But I think in terms of pen palling or, you know, creating a zine and sharing people's work, I think it's a way to break through isolation and also um, in meaningfully involve the people who are inside. So it's not just things mm. that are being done to them or for them, but it's like, hey, do you want to be involved? I mean, the fact that I have you know, 200 people on my incarcerated women on my mailing list, but only like a handful of people that actually contribute means that some people may be like, my participation is going to be, I'm going to read this mean. And that is, you know, like the extent of my participation, I'm not going to draw, I'm not going to write for whatever reasons, you know, but I really, really want to keep reading this. And it's a way to like reach in breakthrough isolation and alienation also kind of break through the normalcy of all the like prison abuses and injustices that people face. Like it is not normal for, you know, you to be sitting on a toilet and for somebody to be able to like just walk in when they, they feel like it, you know, it is not normal for once a month, you know, like people in riot gear to come and like rip up your, your 
you know, your belongings in search right. of contraband. It is not, you know, like none of these things should be thought of as normal, you know, but in prisons they often are. So so it's a way to kind of also break through that like weird, distorted sense of normalcy, especially for people who have been in prison for a long time, might not necessarily have communication with many folks on the outside, many, if any, folks on the outside. And this is particularly true of people who have either spent long periods of time in prison, like years and years and years, and their families have dropped away or died mm-hmm. or moved or, you know, like just become more and more distant. Or, you know, particularly, I hear this from trans women, when they come out as trans, their families are just done. You know, maybe their families were having some issues right. with them before, but they really don't know how to relate to their family member who has just come out as trans and who is incarcerated. So, so for, you know, many of them also tenacious is, you know, tenacious or having a pen pal or some communication with the outside that means that prison is not the entirety of their world. You know, and I think that's a really potent reminder for some people that it's like, no, prisons are not the only thing, you know, right. Um, right. In, in this world, you know, like even for people who are, you know, serving long sentences or even serving life sentences or life without parole sentences to remind people that it's like, no, this is not actually the only thing that exists. Yeah, you know, actually that there is one thing I wanted to ask you too. Um, you know, it, it makes sense that a lot of uh, women would use this as a place where they can talk about um, their conditions and what's going on in their lives. But I'm wondering, you know, do you see people submitting pieces and artwork uh, that don't have to do at all with prison, you know, and you sort of using this as, as an escape almost or anything like that? Yes, um, people have. I mean, um, there was one woman that would send me, constantly send me Mickey Mouse drawings, you know, like it was sort of like, oh, that's cute. I don't know what this has to do with prison, but like, yeah, you really like to draw Mickey Mouse. And another woman, I think she sent me something with a gun. And I was like, I'm really sorry. This was a different, per, you know, person drawing a gun. I was like, I'm really sorry. Right. I really don't believe in censorship, but I really can't publish this because this will just get this issue banned from a bunch of places. So then she sent me pictures of ice cream. And I was like, um, <laughs> I kind of don't know what to do with this. I think I can probably like put it like, you know, like a sort of like, you know, like filler, like when somebody's piece doesn't take up a whole page. Okay, ice cream, you know, like, uh, or I'll have some especially some trans women artists, like I will get pictures of like what you would think of incarcerated cisgender men drawing pictures, like pictures of like overly sexualized women. Mm. And they'll be like, hey, I drew your picture. And I was like, you know, most women kind of don't look like this. You know, uh, can right. you just draw, like, can, will you draw me a self-portrait, you know, is usually what I say then, you know, because I actually don't also want to propagate this idea that women are these, like, you know, like, you know, very thin, very busty, right. you know, sex symbols, especially in a publication that goes to women who are probably all shapes and sizes and levels of not being in the greatest of health because they're in prison with crappy food and act, right. lack of access to medical care and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like, I'm kind of like, I don't actually want to promote the like Playboy pinup, which, you know, some people might say is censorship, but whatever, they can go start their own zine in which it is nothing but pinup models. Um, <laughs> but it's true, you know, um, that, that 
I'm not stopping anybody from doing that. And, you know, um, and the person actually wrote back and it was a little heartbreaking. They were like, I have not, I don't have a mirror. I have not actually seen myself. And they were in solitary confinement. So I've actually not seen myself in however many years I've been in solitary, you know? And then I was like, well, would you like be willing to like draw a picture of your mom or, you know, like somebody in your life, you know, like just a realistic, a more realistic picture than, you know, like I think what you kind of hope you look like, you know, like you like, you know, like come out of solitary and you're just like, whoa, I didn't realize that like, you know, I have a 42D and, you know, like a tiny little waistline and, you know, I look like Betty Boop. It's like kind of like, you know, can we, can like, will you draw somebody who, you know, means something to you or something like that, you know? So it's a little bit more realistic or it's a lot more realistic, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's not just like, you know, no, I don't want this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking a, a number of different things, um, but I'm I'm gonna hold off on that. I because um, we have you know a few questions, uh, and you know just checking time here. I want to make sure we're we remain on track. But um, you know, I read one of the um, interviews that you did when you know many years ago um, about tenacious, uh, and you have it up on the site. Uh, where you talk about your experience as a woman of color publishing, you know, this zine uh, in collaboration with incarcerated women. And um, I was wondering if, you know, now I think that interview was, what, 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, maybe. Um, What has changed, if anything, over that period of time? Um, I, I remember you talking about you know, going into that zine space and being, you know, one of the only few women of color <laughs> in that space, right? Um, so I don't know, has anything changed in, in the zine world? That's so funny that you should be asking that because I was, and it's so funny that we should be doing this interview at this time because on this past Sunday, I was actually at the Feminist Zine Fest, which is held at Barnard College. And I think the previous year, I was sort of like, this seems like a very white, apolitical audience, you know, um, as opposed to previous years. And this year, I think the organizers made a concerted effort to expand their outreach and make sure that it wasn't just going to people who are kind of like in the know about zines, but also Mm -hmm. people who were doing, who are using zines as political, you know, outreach. So Mariam Kaba, prison, AKA prison culture, you know, like had a table with her zines, um, you know, uh, folks who were supporting Alicia Walker, who is a sex worker who was sentenced to, I don't remember how long, but a long time in an Illinois prison for defending herself against a man who was uh, physically attacking her at the time, um, had, you know, like had a table. So, and it felt like it was a little bit more of a politically conscious, more less white space. So even if, and I didn't like keep a head count of demographics, but it also felt like there was more engagement where people, you know, were really excited to see that there was something about prisons or that there were many things about prisons. So it wasn't just me sitting mm. there, you know, in my own little like table with like prison stuff and people were like prisons what's that you know is that like orange is the new black but there were several other people you know tabling prison zines there were other women of color and people of color in the zine fest you know tabling things um about their experiences being people of color and 
you know, whatever the intersection was that they were writing about. Or maybe their pieces weren't actually about, or their zines weren't actually about being people of color at all. Maybe it was about something else. Like, I don't know, how much you like, you mm-hmm. know, cats and cartoons. Or somebody did something about sharks, you know. I was like, oh, look. Look at all these weird sharks. It's like, okay, great. You know, like, you know, like, like as people of color, we don't always have to talk about being people of color all the time because that's exhausting. Um, but, you know, it's like maybe some people want to talk about sharks. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care about sharks, but somebody cares about sharks. Um, so, so I feel like there's been somewhat of a shift. But again, I feel like sometimes my experiences in zine culture and zine community is also kind of self-selective because I'm doing this very political zine. So it's sort of like, oh, I'm doing this very political zine, which means I want to get, you know, I'm in these very political spaces. And I'm also not in these apolitical spaces where they're like, pay $80 to like come and table at this zine fest full of art students who have discovered zines and make zines that are really pretty and artsy, but I have no idea what this means. Um, but I also find that there's kind of a divide. I remember somebody actually reminded me a couple of years before that I had been at the Brooklyn Zine Fest, which is which was a huge, you know, like thing of people tabling zines. And there was a group at the time called the People of Color Zine Project that had bought like a half table or whatever, and then invited various zinesters of color to like share in this table. So it was me. It was somebody from the Lesbian History Archives. There was a gender nonconforming kid that was, you know, also doing a zine. And we were sitting next to a white art student who did some zine. I couldn't understand what it was about, even though I kept hearing him describe it. And there was definitely a divide in people who came to our table. So we're sharing a table. Mm. And, like, white people gravitated towards this thing that I really didn't understand. It's like he took... I don't know, binary code and he did something with it and he did something with it and then he produced this thing and I didn't understand it. It just went over my head. Um, and so, you know, like art, artsy white people would gravitate towards his thing and then they'd look over at mine and I would explain what it was and they would not be interested. And then the people of color who came would totally not get or not care about this man's binary zine, um, like, you know, like computer binary, like, you know, zeros and ones and whatnot zine. And they would be like, oh, my God, women in prison. That's so great. And, like, we would have conversations. Some of them would be one-on-one conversations. Some of them would be, like, more uh, more involved conversations. And people would be like, how can I support? How can I write to women in prison? You know, like, I would like to buy this zine or I would like to, like, know more about this. Like, what should I be reading? So it seemed like there was a divide, too. And I don't know how much of that is based on race and how much of this is based on, like, sort of, like, the weird self-selection in which it's, like, I do a very political thing. So the mm. people who are going to stop to stop and talk with me for any more than five seconds are going to be the people who are politically engaged or politically curious. You know, the people who, you know, don't care and just want to look at pretty things are not going to, like, engage with me for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is not to say that there aren't people who are white people who are politically engaged, politically involved people, you know, and that all people of color are politically engaged and politically motivated because we know that's not the case. But it was an interesting breakdown to be like, that's right. really interesting, you know, that, that it's kind of broken down this way because I'm sitting next to this guy 
that I normally would never have interacted with and I wouldn't have looked at a zine twice, you know, but because we're sharing a table, I'm hearing his spiel over and over. He's hearing my spiel over and over, you know, and we're seeing who stops to engage with whom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, I really didn't get zine culture um, until mm-hmm. maybe, like, I don't know, I would say eight or 10 years ago. Like, I've always been around, you know, political pamphlets and seen them and mm-hmm. picked them up and things like that. Um, but zine, you know, that word specifically, and then everything that came along with it was not something I was, I, I think, just clued into because it wasn't, mm-hmm. it just wasn't around me. And I'm finding, yeah. um, you know, the longer I've been doing this work um, around prison abolition and Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about how we communicate, uh, you know, what we're doing and how we collaborate with people inside um, to amplify their voices uh, that, you know, zines are just an amazing tool, an amazing space to uh, Mm -hmm. communicate that. Um, And, you know, Last time we had you on, we asked you the question that we always ask everyone at the end. Um, you know, what does prison abolition mean to you? So we're not going to ask mm-hmm. you that question today. Okay. Um, oh, and, can I jump in about zines and like? Yeah, yeah, know, like, please. Uh, please. Yeah. So ahead. I think one of the things too is that you know, like the word zine denotes or connotes or you know, like has the like association with like with white people. But if we think back to some of this, the writings that have come out of grassroots organizing, like the Kambahi River Collective, Six Black yep. Women, Why Do They mm-hmm. Have to Die? Twelve Black Women, Why Do They Have to Die? You know, as pamphlets, you know, they, they were called pamphlets, but you could like also think of them as zines, you know, like they were not, nec- like they were uh, DIY written materials produced because they weren't seeing their concerns and their voices and their experiences and their outrage amplified anywhere. So they were like, we must spread this message ourselves. Um, In the 1970s in North Carolina, when the prison in Raleigh-Durham had an uprising, um, 1975, I think, and people on the end, women on the outside uh, worked with women inside and they created a zine called Break the Chains of think it's U.S. legalized slavery or legalized U.S. slavery. Anyhow, so it was like a big, you know, like, and I don't think they called it a zine. They called it yeah. a pamphlet or a booklet or something. Mm-hmm. But it literally was a photocopied, you know, like compilation of the writings of the women who had participated right. in this North Carolina uprising. So I think that there, that people of color and people who have been, people of color have been organizing for social justice have been making zines, but we haven't been calling them that. Exactly. Because there is this connotation of like, that's like, you know, like punk rock white people, or that's science fiction Mm -hmm. white people. That's not, that's not us. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not, that's not us being like, why are black women disappearing and dying at such Mm -hmm. an alarming rate and the police aren't doing anything about it? You know, Mm -hmm. like, why are these prison outrages allowed to continue with nobody doing anything about it? But if you think of, you know, like, things as, you know, like, how are we distributing these these kinds of ideas in ways that are accessible to people? I mean, means are accessible to people in prison. The Internet is not, by and large. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I 
yeah, it's uh, all of that. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, recalling just stumbling into um, an anarchist bookstore in, um, in uh, oh gosh, um, near Harvard Square. And folks mm-hmm. up there probably know, you know, uh, the name of it. And this is uh, many years ago. And I mean, I guess it, it just wasn't, the word zine wasn't on my radar. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, without knowing that that's what they were, you know, now being called, um, you know, it was just, it, it was something that, yeah, like, okay, this, as you describe it, this DIY aspect uh, to it. And, you know, how do you, how do you produce something, put, compile something um, when you don't have, you know, a lot of resources and mm-hmm. still get it out there. Um, and that was, you know, the thing that I found appealing um, about, you know, zines or, you know, mm-hmm. pamphlets or whatever. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> here. But, um, you know, it, it, uh, it sort of goes to um, the, the final question that I wanted to ask you. And like I said, I'm not going to ask you about, you know, what your thoughts on prison abolition are. Um, or what you think abolition is, but something else that I've read in um, in your interview from from years ago about uh, that you said about liberation, and uh, I'm wondering, you know, how you see the uh, how you see tenacious as part of a liberatory practice, um, and how can you know other people think more deliberately about, you know, liberation or a liberatory practice and what can they do um, in their own lives? Uh, you know, does that make sense? Because I, I yeah. wrote that question and it, it, it sort of, <laughs> you know, I, I was sort of unsure about whether I was going to ask it or not. And I'm mm-hmm. still unsure, Victoria. So apologies. Okay. For, huh. you, know. <laughs> well, you know, like if, if we look at like, you know, like liberation is not this thing that like kind of comes down fully formed, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. like, like, you know, like come down from the sky, like a giant, like monsoon or a tsunami mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, but like, there's like little steps that happen, you know, like towards liberation, like you chip away at, you know, oppression, you know, and you build liberatory spaces and you build liberatory practices and there's some stumbling and there's some, you know, like, like we're not going to get it perfect the first time. Like the way I asked um, the question, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so if you look at, you know, like tenacious, just like the way you can look at like the North Carolina, you know, women's prison zine or the Kambahi River Collective's, you know, pamphlets or, you know, like all of these other projects as, you know, like sort of like little steps towards carving out some liberation, you know, like what does that mean? You know, for some women it might be like, oh, I matter. My stories matter. Wait, I can do something about my situation and my circumstances, I am not helpless. You know, how does that work towards liberation? You know, like, and it's sort of like it carves out that little space Mm -hmm. in which people can then examine questions more, think about their own role and their own agency, think about what they've been told about their own lack of agency, you know, for however many years or decades, you know, that they've been told, like, you can't do anything, you don't matter, you know, like, no matter what you do, nothing will change, why bother? Um, and it gives them that space. It, it's not here is liberation as like a gigantic, you know, thing mm-hmm. that you suddenly have. It's like here's a little bit of space, and maybe you'll take the next step, whatever that step might be, and carve out a little bit more space, you know, and towards freedom and liberation and autonomy and self-care and, you know, like, and mm-hmm. collective empowerment. 
I mean, you may choose never to leave that little, you know, like space that has just been carved out. You might be like, okay, great. I matter. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think it, it's kind of that one of those things where moving towards liberation is steps. It's, you know, like there's steps and they're not, you know, it's, it's not like one giant swoop. And I, I feel like tenacious can play that part in, you know, carving out that little space where people can choose can think about taking next steps. They can choose not. They can choose to. They can choose not to. They can choose what those steps are. It's not like a, uh, mm. you know, it's it's not like a, a flow chart where if you take step one, you must take step two. Right. You know, like it's sort of like you could take step one, and then you could take step two, or you could take step five, or you could take step ten, or you could take step a hundred. You might decide not to take any steps at all. You know, it, you might start going towards five and then realize you want to go to a hundred. You know, like that's right. But I think it like carves out that little bit of space as opposed to constantly having these walls that say you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. So I think I see tenacious in that role. So it's not going to be an end all be all for anybody, you know, like right. it, it's not going to provide liberation. You know, it might help people carve out that space. And some mm-hmm. people might not even do that. They might be like, great, I get this zine in the mail. I read it, you know. That's wonderful. And then I put it, you know, with the rest of my stuff and I forget about it. Um, that is not the reaction that I get when I, you know, ask people if they still want to keep getting the zine, but I don't want to overstate because maybe there is somebody sure. who's just like, great, I read it. It was like, it took up a few hours of my time, but it did, it didn't carve out anything other than like a few hours of my time. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there are many people who I'm hoping this acts as a sort of like, oh my God, this is much, you know, like I see things differently or I see myself differently. I see my ability to act and influence things differently. Like one woman said, I'm a much better writer because of you, because you constantly are pushing me. You're constantly pushing me. I mean, I can be kind of annoying, you know, she's like, but I really appreciate the fact that you are constantly pushing me to describe what is happening and to describe it in detail and to write for an audience that it probably never seen the inside of a prison because people on the outside mm. read this and are like, oh my God, not just mm. it was terrible, but the fact that, you know, like you're trying to go get food and you're six months pregnant or you're eight months pregnant and to get to food from your housing area, you have to walk 20 minutes through, you know, like a snowy field or an icy pavement or whatever, you know, like, and you might trip and fall, but if you don't get there by a certain point, all the bananas are gone and then you don't get a banana and you don't, that mm-hmm. was your fresh fruit for the day, you yeah. know? Um, oh, and by the way, we're all out of bread. So sorry, pregnant lady, like you can't get a sandwich, you know, here's some soggy lettuce instead, you know, like, so being able to describe exactly what it means for other people who are like, I never thought of it that way. You know, like these are all the like everyday horrors of prison. Um, and But also here is what people are doing about this, even if it's sort of like a small little thing, um, you know, to, to keep their humanity and keep their spirits. And sometimes to make sure that there is some change, even if it's just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, uh this has been great you know the work that you do is tremendous victoria thank you so much i wanted to make sure uh before we let you go that uh we let people know how they can support tenacious how they can ensure uh that the costs are covered and that um women on the inside are able to get their issues for free uh so can you tell us a little bit about how people can get involved and help with the project 
Sure. Um, so people can go to my website, resistancebehindbars.org, and someplace at the top, there's like a little like, you know, like tab for Tenacious and click on that and that will have like ordering information, information about the zine, uh, ways to get in touch with me so people can contact me directly. I mean, what I really, you know, like I've just told people to do is, you know, is if they buy the zine, all the proceeds go to covering the cost of sending, you know, Tenacious to women in prison. So it's not like I'm pocketing the money and getting rich off of this. It's like, oh, great, you know, somebody bought a zine. That mm-hmm. sends two zines to a woman, in, you know, that sends two women in prison a zine, you know, right. type of thing. Um, if people wanted to, like, donate money, I don't have a nonprofit, so I don't ever want to be like, hey, give me money instead of, like, the bazillion other things that need money out there. But if somebody's like, hey, you know, I, I got a bonus at work, you know, I don't know, I found $20 on the street here, take it, you know, they should just get in contact with me. And then also, if people are producing media, they should reach out and find incarcerated women who are able to contribute so that it's not always just here's this one zine project. Mm -hmm. But if like, you know, like I break both my hands or I fall off a cliff or, you know, I get abducted by aliens and the whole thing grinds to a halt. (laughs) And then there are no, you know, there are no outlets for for incarcerated women's voices. But, you know, really like, you know, like also hoping to expand that so that that way other people are like, oh yeah, why is this all about men? I was just looking at a conference, you know, um, about prisons and it's all about men and there's no recognition in any of these panels that there are women or gender non-conforming folks or trans people, you know, in prison. And I'm just like, what kind of conference is this? So, you know, like, you know, thinking about that kind of thing, like, hey, how are we, how are we including the voices of those most impacted by mass incarceration? And also, whose voices are we including? Like, is it mm-hmm. all men? Um, like, you know, like, hey, it is all men. What does that mean for how we're doing outreach and how we're soliciting mm-hmm. other right. people's participation? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. Um, you know, I highly encourage people check out your work and check out Tenacious and consider... Uh, giving so they can can ensure that this project keeps going. Um, Anything else, Kim? No, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you.